Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Phineas O'Connell swept the 2020 Grammys, including Album of the Year, Song of the Year, and Producer of the Year. Candy's only 23. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Phineas talks about growing up and making music with his sister Billie Eilish and writing and producing some of her biggest hits. Phineas, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And where are you right now? Are you in LA or are you elsewhere? Yes, I'm in my home in Los Angeles, in the room where I record all my music. Are you from Los Angeles originally, or where did you where did you grow up? Yeah, I was born here. My parents were were um, like theater actors in New York City, and then uh, moved out to Los Angeles to try to get like residual money because you you don't get any from theater. And then they moved out to LA and um, failed spectacularly at that. And then my dad became a carpenter, and my mom baked cakes taught classes and stuff and that was that was our childhood it's great how how in the world did they feel when you guys made it i mean it's funny i grew up i'm the son of teachers and even for the little bit that i've done i know there's a certain pride but i'm imagining for your mom and dad seeing you like that must i don't want to put words in their mouth but but what's it like for them is it a little surreal given that that they were artists as well so i think it's twofold i think they have their own uh pride and excitement about our careers and then they also have this kind of cautionary side (laughs) my sister and i joke about this all the time um with our like the financial advisors which is like our parents have this their warning and again i'd prefer this to any other form of uh, behavior, but they're 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 always like, look, it's great that that accident happened and you got successful, but you have to every penny you've ever made, you better bury that in a hole in the yard because you're you may never make another dollar again. Which is again, I'd way prefer that to our parents being out buying a Lamborghini or something. But but it, it, sometimes we're like, mom, we're like we have a tour like next year, <laughs> like we're we're we have a job, like we're going to work, so. Um, it's great. I think they're. I I think that's probably largely to do with the fact that they grew up, or they they their careers are, are spent as actors, and you're just not really in control of your 
livelihood as an actor. You can, you know, go on uh, an audition every day for years and not book any of them. It's just a, a business with a lot of luck in it, as is the music world. But, you know, I think the music world, you, you have a little bit more say because you're sort of the author. You can write all your own music. Oh, that's interesting because there was a song back in the day where it talked about record company people are shady. Yeah. And, and it talked about, and it, and, it, and it made me think that maybe music was more, uh, I don't even know what to call it, more dangerous and difficult right. than TV or, right. or other arts. But that's interesting if you're saying, I, I like what you're saying, though, that maybe you can chart your own destiny more. Well, I think that's a great point, and I'm glad you brought that up. I think in some ways the music industry is m more of a wild west than the film and television industry that i mean the the sag after union is much more uh sort of broadly encompassing of the film and television uh industry and the the musicians union it's like i think they're like on the verge of insolvency at all times and there's there there's not like it's not a it's not as widespread there's no kind of you know there's no work hours in music if, if you're working with an artist you know, you work on that song that day until it's done. It could be two hours, it could be 18 hours. And obviously when you're on a television set or a film set, there's 12-hour turnaround, there's eight-hour shifts, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, stipulations in place. So in that sense, totally. And then, yes, I think there are countless artists who are in uh, controlling, manipulative um, uh, deals that are not advantageous to them. And we have just been lucky and and had had uh, wonderful guidance from our managers and our attorney and so we you know we've we've gotten lucky we negotiated uh favorable terms but you're totally right i think there are plenty of people still today in 2020 who are in a deal that they don't want to be in that's so interesting as you say that you're making me think that maybe musicians in many cases are more tennis players versus basketball players meaning that meaning that you like you know what i mean like you could kind of like or, yeah. or track stars like you guys can like you guys can like determine more of your own. I mean, everyone needs help. Everyone needs a team. No, right. But you can determine more of your own destiny. Whether you can be a great ball player, but if you're on the wrong team, it's true. You guys may never see the light of day. There could it's be, true. you know, you're always waiting for someone to bring you on to the crew, the team. Yeah. So that's that's actually an interesting way to think about the artist differentiation. Maybe that's a great. I think that's a great comparison too. Because right, there's there the basketball team has coaches and the tennis player has a coach but it's it's still a, a more sort of individualistic um outcome right it's it's how well you play that day versus you know it's there's nothing sort of sadder than when you're watching a basketball game and a player makes an excellent pass and the pass is not received and you're just like well that was not that guy's fault that was a great pass um so i think that's a great point yeah and, and it was interesting what you said about business why do you think you guys got a good business deal like, uh, was it was it luck? Was it actually thoughtful skill on your part? Did you guys do something that other people can learn from? Like, why did you end up not getting screwed like so many musicians talk about later on? Um, so I sort of think it's three-pronged. We, even from sort of day one, we had a, a music attorney that we trusted, and that was just through a, a, an agent that introduced me to someone before we'd even sort of entered the business. So I think, I think a lot of what is happening when people get into a deal that they that isn't favorable is I don't think they know that when they go in you know they they don't have the protection around them and they see a number and they think wow that's amazing and how lucky am I and they sign it so I think that you know the things that um, we were fortunate to have where we were sort of insulated by having people we trusted already around us we were very fortunate in that more than one label 
wanted to sign uh, Billy. And so we didn't have to sort of like take the only offer we got. We were able to, you know, vet uh, different offers from different labels and sort of say like, this one has this that looks good. And this one, you know, m might be a little bit, um, you know, the percentages might be better. And then you kind of negotiate from there. Um, and then I think the, the third was that we just took our time with the whole thing. Like Billy's on a, a, a label called uh, Dark Room, which is an imprint of Interscope. And I'm actually unsigned, but I'm on a publishing company called um, Cobalt. And, you know, both of those things were meetings over several months and meeting with their competitors and, you know, seeing which, uh, which groups of people felt uh, like they aligned with us. I think the other thing that happens to people a lot, and um, there's a clause you can put in your contract called a key man clause. Hopefully someone watching this is interested in all of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what'll happen sometimes is you, you're a, a singer songwriter and someone at a label like Warner Music, some guy at Warner Music named Jeff goes, I love your music. I would love to sign you to Warner Music. And you go, I love Jeff. I think Jeff is the greatest. I'm going to sign to Jeff at Warner Music. And you sign and Jeff is like, I am leaving Warner Music, but I hope you have a great time at Warner Music. <laughs> and then you're you're stuck on a label without your without your person who is your, your champion and who believes in you. And you have this team of people that have no investment in you, even though you're on their roster. So that's you can also negotiate a, a key man clause, which is if this person that I that is part of this corporation signs that I'm signing to if this person leaves then I get to renegotiate which you know is advantageous because you wouldn't want to be on a team without the person you you signed to the team for so um, you know that's all really helpful Phineas you know that actually would be a revolutionary idea if you actually applied that to sports if you applied that to business because totally. imagine Absolutely. imagine a, you know what I mean imagine a free agent or imagine a high school kid saying I'm going to this college as long as this guy is the coach but if that person's not the coach anymore why am I locked in at Clemson if they've left Clemson right or if I if know you, there's so many tragedies like that where someone that you can tell is the is the draw abandoned ship and or gets a more favorable deal right think about think about how many people wanted to be on the Patriots because of Tom Brady right and then right. Tom Brady leaves. It's like it's a, it's you know. I I feel a lot of sympathy for people in that situation. You know, Finney, it's funny. When I was watching you and some of the interviews you've done, what have you, I was taken by how this almost seems like a weird word. And I don't mean it in a patronizing way, but just how mature uh, you are and were, and just like how um, grounded and seemingly in a good place uh, you were. How much of that do you think has to do with with a? Is that true? And B, how much of that has to do with being homeschooled? Yeah, I was gonna say tell that to my therapist, but but um, <laughs> you know, I you know I don't know. I think um, I think the first of all, I, I'm so lucky because I I do my favorite thing for a living, right? So there's there's not much for me to be off about ever, right? I, I wake up and I get to go do like the thing that I would do for fun if I had a, a different job. Um, so I I try to never take that for granted. Um, you know, we had parents who I think the the thing that I would carry into my own raising of future children, if I have them um, first, would be that we had parents who never um, treated us like trivial, uh, with trivial interest. Like I had I had friends' parents where they'd go like, "Mom, can I go over to Phineas's house?" And their mom would be like, "No, not tonight." And they'd be like, "Why not?" And their mom would be like, because you can't. And I totally empathize with that person because that mom is saying like, 
I know why you can't go over there tonight, but but I'm, I'm exhausted. I don't want to tell you this 30-minute explanation of why not. And to our parents' credit, they always would tell us. We'd go like, like, Mom, can my friend Elliot spend the night tonight? My mom would be like, well, we have to get up really early tomorrow morning, and we have to go to the, to the you know, you have to go to soccer practice really early in the morning, like 8 a.m. So what's the fun of having your friends sleep over if you're going to have to go to bed really early anyway, and then you're not even going to get to hang out in the morning together? Like, why don't you have it another night? And as a kid, that gives you such a sense of, like, being like you know such a sense of importance where you're like oh that's that actually makes sense to me and even if i'm disappointed that i don't get to have the fun night i want to have you're like well that's that that's a good reason and so i think i think that just kind of creates a discourse that isn't as like emotionally raw as sometimes you know i see kids like at a supermarket not getting like whatever the ice cream they want or something and they just like freak out and i totally get it but it's like I think if there's a way to just kind of explain everything to to a kid, you you grow up with this kind of feeling of like, oh, th- then whatever I'm told I can't do, there's probably a reason for that, as opposed to like, I think some kids are just like, I never get to do what I want, <laughs> and I, you know, I think that's not usually the case. Most parents are trying to make their kids happy; they just have reasons for stuff. So, I think I think all that basically comes into play in terms of like, you know, any any amount of good communication skills I have are just stem from that, basically. What would happen if you hadn't made it in music? What do you What do you think you'd be doing today? It's a really good question. I think, you know, by definition of making it in music, like, I, I've so surpassed my own goals of what I was hoping, hoping, hoping to achieve. Um, I think if I hadn't sort of textbook made it I, I would be working a, a you know a lower tier job in the music industry like I love um, studios and recording and songwriting and uh, touring so much and there there really are thousands of jobs in the field that maybe aren't my number one choice which is standing on stage with a guitar so you know I'd probably I, you know I'd, I'd sweep a, a, a you know music studio floor and, and there's all, those old um consoles in studios like the neve consoles and stuff you have to do what's called massaging them where every day even if they're not getting used you have to press every button 10 times and turn every knob just to make sure that it's like working and not getting dust in it so you know there's a lot of jobs i'd be i would still geek out to have if i didn't get to do my first favorite thing i love that that's true and i think that that's probably not true of everyone but i think of a lot of people who are really good at what they do I think they they really have that kind of love of it, or they have that sense. Chelsea Handler was telling me that she was a bowling ball. She was like, I was undeniable. I was a force of nature. She's like, once someone told me there was a job where there was like a microphone and just her on stage, she was like, done. To me, that that. was it. I wasn't going to do anything else. I was going to do that. But but I think if you bring that kind of love to the table, that's like a, um, you're already winning, which probably- also shapes things in a, yeah. uh, in a in a certain way. Yeah. There's a lot of criteria that, for me to get excited about um, in different aspects of my sort of job, and and I try to just tell people that when I if anyone asks me for advice, I'm like, you know, I'm like on any given day where I'm doing a different part of my job, if I'm making a music video or if I'm writing for some other artist or I'm producing for another artist, like there's something different that's exciting to me about that. And, uh, you know, part of that is like, I grew up reading the back of, you know, record sleeves and going on Wikipedia and seeing who worked on what. And 
you know, I have such an appreciation for so many albums and, and it's so fun when you come in contact with someone who was involved in some piece of music that has meant something to you in your life and then you get to tell them, you get to go like, I listened to that album and cried in my Honda Fit for my, my terrible salvage title car and um, that was so meaningful and powerful to me. So, you know, I think all of that stuff basically to me is just, you know, uh, the, the sort of eternal, you know, machine that, that keeps me like really engaged. And there are also just to be candid, like totally days where I'm like, today I just want to like play video games and, and like talk to a friend on the phone. So there are definitely days where I get burned out, but generally I'm, I'm too excited by stuff to, to get sick of it. When you think about how you made it, because there's, I mean, I'm sure there've been a million stories written about it, but you actually were the person like in there and you saw it like, like give us the short version. Like, how did you make it? Like, how did it happen? That's an awesome question. And I, I, I will preface to anyone listening who might be curious that when I was growing up, I would listen to every interview of everyone talking about how they made it. And I, it would all seem like impossible or like, why, like, why hasn't that happened to me? So my my sort of comforting to someone would be like it, it's a different for everybody so from in my specific case um it basically started i started writing songs when i was 12 and just wrote a lot of terrible songs every day just wrote like hundreds of and i thought they were great at the time but i i over the years it was like these were not the the diamonds that i thought they were i so i started writing songs at 12 I, the, there's a, a program, a music recording program called Logic Pro. Um, and I was saving up to get Logic Pro and then they, uh, lowered the price of it. So it went from like a eight or $900 program to like a $200 program. And I was like, well, I have, I am there. I have saved up enough to get this cheaper version of this program. Um, and so I did, uh, and that was when I was 14. And I just, same same principle of writing songs was just making bad recordings all the time with like a crappy USB microphone and just trying my best. And sort of by contrast to the songwriting, which I always felt proud of my songs, even though later I'd be like, I don't think these are good. There was a long time where I did not feel proud of the recordings that I was making because it was so easy to like A, B them to records that I loved. So I'd make something and I'd be like, this is okay. And I'd listen to some album I loved and I'd be like, not even close. Like this sounds <laughs> terrible. Um, and so that was like 14, uh, just, just sort of toiled away for a couple of years in my room alone. And then I had a friend who I just knew socially who at 17 was like trying to be like a rapper singer and was like, you produce, you're amazing. And I was like, yeah, I'm amazing. Like, he doesn't know that I'm not. And so he kind of, um, he, he really gave me confidence that I wouldn't have otherwise had just by dint of thinking I was good when I wasn't yet. And, you know, I'd play, I'd play something, he'd be like, oh my God, that's incredible. And I'd be like, thanks. Like, th maybe it isn't terrible. Um, so we made some music. We started uploading it on the website SoundCloud. And then after uh, several months of doing that, my sister and I, who, who were homeschooled, so we spent a lot of time together, um, and I, I had always thought her voice was very beautiful, and I sort of said, like, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little better at recording, like, do you want to record a song with me? Wouldn't that be cool? 
and she obliged and and sort of um, to her own credit is like a real perfectionist and so she didn't do like one take and then go like I'm bored she she would do like hundreds of takes of the same line and be like no 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 I can do that better and we did a couple songs um, that we just uploaded to SoundCloud and sent to our friends and they they just kind of bounced around between people we knew you know they would get like a couple hundred plays which at the time we were perfectly proud of we were like that's all the people we know that's everyone <laughs> right. and then we put out uh the third song was a, a song called ocean eyes and we i'd produced it um i'd written it and then she had sung it and then we'd we'd uh, put it out on soundcloud and uh and that song started to get picked up by blogs and to this day i don't honestly know how blogs found it and to add to the mystery of it, the main blog that kind of broke that song was a blog called Hilly Dilly. And I, I know Chad, the, the founder of the blog now, because I wanted to thank him. So I got to know him. And I said, how did you find our song in the first place ever? And he said, I found it on a Reddit thread. And I was like, what Reddit thread? And he was like, I, I'm not willing to tell you. <laughs> I was like, okay, Mysterio, <laughs> like, cool, man. Um, you know, I, I my best guess is just that um, because of the way that SoundCloud or TikTok or Instagram now work is there there is a discovery sort of algorithm that a, a song that just has been uploaded 12 hours ago, you know, sometimes will just pop up in someone's feed when they're listening to music. So that's my theory about how that happened. But from there, we had this song that sort of was buzzy on blogs and not like, you know, overnight Lil Nas X proportions, just like a couple thousand plays every couple days. And that was plenty for us. Um, and then we started sort of more seriously writing songs together. Um, we, we got some label interest um, and then met with people. And then over the next year sort of um, continued to like create music. And then, you know, it was like a, from then on, it was like a very slow um, journey of just ha like writing the right songs, I think mainly like being careful, putting, you know, not, not dumping out a bunch of music. We just put out one song. We'd wait a couple months. We'd put out another song. We'd wait a couple months. We'd put out an EP with a couple songs. Um, and you know, we had, uh, at the time by the end of 2016, Billy had signed to Interscope. Um, but we had only put out two songs. We put out Ocean Eyes and a song called Six Feet Under. And so then it was like, let's put together an EP and see how that does. And, you know, every step of the way, because it's so personal, it feels like the biggest deal in the world to you, you know, because because we were in the studio every day. And by the studio, I mean my childhood bedroom. But we were in my <laughs> childhood bedroom every day, you know, uh, working really hard um, on what we were making. And it felt like very do or die, which is like, a little extreme considering it was not. And, um, you know, then we, we made this EP that, that sort of um, moved the needle a little bit. We played some shows. That was when we first started touring. We played, I think, 12 shows in the United States and then another six shows across Europe at the end of 2017. And it was just all this very gradual thing. Um, and I think that's, I bet every person who's gone through some amount of 
overnight success except for like maybe mason ramsey the kid who yodeled in the walmart like pretty much everyone but him i think would be like it actually took years like you know even like bieber bieber was like looked at as an overnight success it was like years of him flying around the country to radio stations and getting them to play his music and getting in the studio with the right people and you know it's uh but that's the that's the long version of like you know the the process of us getting from nowhere to somewhere everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Was there one deal, was signing with Interscope, was a certain tour, was a certain song doing well, really that moment where you're like, yep, I've definitely crossed over, like, you know, however you want to define it, like, I've, I've broken through. So Ocean Eyes being our first song, any amount of success that the song Ocean Eyes achieved was not... That did not bring me peace because I was like, well, that's just one song. Like you're you're not a career artist if you have one song that people know. Um, so it really wasn't until we ended up putting out a song um, called Bellyache that, that started to do really well. And then we put out this whole EP and the EP started to do really well. And I thought, I thought that's a pretty good sign if there's a an actual body of work that people are listening to and loving um, as opposed to one song. And then, you know, we'd, we'd play shows and they would sing along. And then, um, we had gotten to be friendly with 
the artist Khalid and just through hanging out together for a week had written a song and then ended up putting that song out called lovely. And that song, um, also really moved the needle for us. That was, uh, in the spring of 2018. And that song was like the, I think that was probably the first song that overtook our, our initial popular song. And I think that was like a, a very, uh, a proud moment for me. I think anytime your, your thing passes your former like success, you're like, yes, like this feels great. Um, but I think, you know, I've always measured our success off of like the kind of show we're able to play. I think like anytime you sell out any venue, even if that venue is like 80 people, you're like, wow, we sold this room out. And then as it just, you know, moves up and the, you know, as long as the audience is enthusiastic and they're excited to be there, like that's, that's what feels really good to me. Do you, do you think of yourself, I almost kind of don't want to use the words cause I kind of want you to fill it in, but do you think of yourself well, how would you describe yourself? So if I didn't meet you, if I were to meet you in Australia, and I say Australia because I know you've told a lot of good stories about being in Australia, <laughs> including I love the one about taking your pop there. Yeah. I, I could see taking my own dad there and having that kind of experience. But, but, but it, you know, let's say you and I met in Australia, and I asked you, what do you do? What would you tell me? What would you say you do? I think I would just say I'm a musician. Um, I think that, to me, is, you know, broad enough and, you know, I don't feel a, a super strong desire to have to prove my self-worth to, to strangers usually. And, um, you know, I think maybe some of that comes with some inner feeling of confidence and, and pride. And I think the, the other thing is that once your anonymity starts to be taken from you, you, you start to become desperate for it. So, you know... Like as soon as like a stranger shows up at your house and knocks on your door and like won't leave your your doorstep and you know that can feel very kind of ostracizing and, and odd and you feel like you you want to give something to someone that you, you you may not be able to so you know anytime I'm at a grocery store or anything and I I get into a conversation with someone who clearly has no awareness of anything that I do I'm like awesome <laughs> like this is gonna be so normal and great right. and. You know, I mean, I, I don't know how, how often you, you talk to someone who's a fan of yours, but there's such a, I have such a desire not to let anybody down because I've met people I'm a fan of and you, you put a lot of pressure on them even without knowing it to live up to your wild expectations of your, you know, childhood, you know, guitar hero or something. So I think, uh, I think yeah, I would just tell, tell people I'm a musician. Yeah, it's interesting. I was wondering whether you were going to say musician, whether you were going to say singer, whether you were going to say songwriter, whether you were going to say producer. Right. And so I didn't I didn't know where you were going to go, but it's interesting you said musician, which in some ways covers all of those, I guess, at some level. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. It does, yeah. I think it's all-encompassing. I think I, I would, you know, I felt confident in my songwriting the longest. I think producing... Producing's, you know, a, a pretty technical art form, and the, the the true sort of like experts at production have really been doing it for for decades. And obviously, I am like two decades old, so I I have not been doing it as long as most people. Um, so it's that's why I mentioned my friend Frank, who I grew up with, and and you know people like my sister, who really gave me confidence that I didn't have in my own production. Um, I think songwriting is subjective enough that like 
as long as I like the song I'm writing, as long as the person that I'm talking to likes it, then I'm like, I wrote a good song. And production is like, it's, it's easier to miss the mark on that. So that was sort of the thing that took me the longest to have self-confidence in was being a producer. What have you learned about celebrity now? Because probably like a lot of us, you know, you, you weren't a celebrity. You pro- I don't know. You tell me you probably didn't know a ton of celebrities growing up. And now you're, yeah, you know, I didn't, I really know any. Yeah. Yeah. And now, you know, a ton. Um, and you probably know them, I assume at a level of depth. I assume it's not just in passing. I assume. Right. None of, none of, so yeah. like what, what, what would you tell your younger self about, about celebrities and celebrity that might surprise your younger self who's watching from the outside? So the only amount of <laughs> celebrity I was exposed to as a child was my parents were uh, theater actors who were no longer acting for like for a living when I was growing up, but they still had some actor friends who were maybe having like a little more success than they were. So they were all like friends' parents or people my parents' age. So it was not like a cool young, you know, Timothy Chalamet, Michael B. Jordan person. It was like another gray-haired dude, and we'd be like watching. America's Funniest Videos or Extreme Home Makeover or something, and there'd be like a Viagra commercial. And I'd be like, oh my God, that's my dad's friend starring this <laughs> Viagra commercial. Um, so that was as, as close as we came to, to uh, rubbing elbows with fame. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think in the world of sort of celebrity and celebrity culture, on a personal level, Meeting a, a, an actor or an athlete or a musician or a comedian who I'm personally a fan of is very fun because it's so great to be able to tell someone that their, uh, you know, impact on your life has been real. Um, you know, I, I think I do try to like the, the more it happens to me, the more I try to let people off the hook of like having a great moment with someone right you know and and the other thing is like sometimes i think when you're young or maybe just when i was growing up if i were somewhere in la and i saw someone i recognized from a tv show i'd be like oh my god i have to say i have to say something like i would just be like i'd have like butterflies and i think now i'm maybe more likely to go like oh my god that's that person from from that band and i don't have a way to have an organic interaction with that person at this Trader Joe's right now. So I'm going to leave them alone. But, you know, cool to me that I saw them and I know how tall they are now. Um, You know, I I think I think by and large, the thing that I would dispel and it's so I, I understand why it exists. But like the whole kind of Illuminati otherness that I think a lot of people feel about celebrity is you know, in my personal experience that I think every individual famous person is like looking at all other famous people the exact same way that a person who isn't famous looks at famous people. You're like looking at, you know, if you're, even if you're a super famous and you look at like a, an Angelina Jolie, you're like, oh my God, that is a famous person, even if you are. So I think, you know, that's the kind of, just because more people know your name it doesn't like really change the way you interact with people on a kind of a fundamental level. And, and what happens in the family dynamic? I had an interesting conversation years ago with Jeb Bush about what happens when your brother goes from being the, 
near do well, the brother, the, the sibling who's not doing well, to all of a sudden president. To the he's president like, of the and, United and, States. And all of a sudden he's like Thanksgiving changes, right? Like who people listen to yeah. changes. Like uh, like yeah. where people sit. He's like the whole dynamic changes. So like what happens when all of a sudden, you know, you and Billy start to have kind of global success? Like what, what happened to the family dynamic? Well, our, our family, because of Billy's lack of age, um, travels kind of as a unit, essentially. Our dad, we, we employ our dad as like a set carpenter. He helps build the set every day. Um, our mom sort of wears like five or six hats. She's sort of like, you know, semi-tour assistant, semi coordinator semi day-to-day manager like and and i say day-to-day manager just because she's not like we have uh you know managers who've been doing it for years and and you know our mom is in terms of like our actual like like what we're doing that day what uh what food billy's eaten that day you know stuff like that um so we do travel together which is really wonderful um it has resulted um in some like like i do i do a smaller amount of touring on my on my own under my own name and they my parents will be like oh we should come to the show and i'm like please don't like you're you are always everywhere so i'm happy to go play this show without my entire family in the dressing room um but i think the the four of us our dynamic has has not changed uh, at all um you know I think there's like small things and this is this is sort of like this is just a specific example I'll give our our cousin Molly is a a school teacher in Los Angeles and I think when we first started to put out music she would probably like out of pride be like hey listen to my cousin's music isn't this cool and that's you know 5 years on Billy's like a very famous person so now I think she like can't even really tell her you know, friends or, or the kids she uh, teaches because then it becomes a like, can you introduce me to your cousin who I'm a fan of, you know, which, so I think that, that strain, like I always get, um, I feel bad when I, when I hear that friends of mine have been like essentially harassed by someone they don't know just to ha- be a, a means to communicate with Billy or with me. Like, I think that's kind of complicated, but with the four of us in our family, uh, pretty much unchanged. Although Billy and I have had to yell at our mom a couple times about not replying to uh, hate comments on like <laughs> Instagram and YouTube. Um, like you can't, we're like, mom, you can't win against a th- like thousands of strangers. You can't be like, actually, she's very not like you can't like change someone's opinion for no reason that you're never going to meet ever. <laughs> like, yeah. So, but I get it. If I were, if I were my mom, I would do the same thing. Talk to me a little bit. You have another sibling or, or you and Billy, the only, the only kids. Just, just me and Billy. Yeah. Just me yeah, and Billy. Th- yeah. That's gotta be nice that you guys as a, as a foursome uh, yeah. have kind of grown up together. Yeah. And that that's happened. What have you learned from Billy? Because normally it's the uh, younger sibling learning from the older sibling, but I assume because you guys are, are partners and collaborators that their learning's going both ways. What have you learned from her? Uh, yeah, I mean, you'd have to ask her what she feels that she would she has learned from me. I know she's like said a thing or two here and there, so I assume that's true. Um, what the the most overwhelming um, thing that I've learned from her is that she 
is such a uh, sort of renaissance woman, like is involved in every facet of her um, career creatively uh, in a sort of a directorial fashion that I think, especially when I was, you know, her age, 18, I was looking for approval from people that I deemed professionals. And I think it has only basically benefited her to only worry about whether she loves something or not. And I, I wasted a lot of time at 17 and 18 sort of going, I, I love this. What do you think? And, and, you know, having a much older person say it's not good enough. And Billy has never entertained that Billy's Billy's, you know, if she doesn't like it, then it's not done no matter what other people say. And sometimes something's not done to you and someone else goes, it's done. And if she doesn't think so, then it's not done. And vice versa. If she thinks it's done and someone else goes, I don't know. She's like, it's definitely done. So that has totally changed the way that I interact with my own um, music, especially. And, um, you know, I wear a lot of different hats. I, I produce for other artists. I'll write for other artists. Um, and, you know, so I think being like an author and being a collaborator is like a different mindset. Like when I'm in my room recording a song that I'm singing and then I'm going to put it out and I'm going to stand on stage and sing it like that has to really I have to really feel good about that. And if I'm just in a room to help someone else articulate their vision, like I'd be pretty annoying if I never shut up and was like, I, this line doesn't feel perfect to me. It's like, how, how does it feel to you? who are going to have to tour this song for 20 years. So, you know, I think that's the number one thing I've learned from, uh, from her is just her kind of, um, her will. She's very strong willed and, and she, she's very, even if she told you on an interview that she was, you know, had confidence issues sometimes she, she's very, um, assertive and really knows what she wants and knows if it's not there yet. And I think that's, I admire that so much. Do you think that's a Gen Z thing or do you think that's more of a billy thing it's a really good question i think it's i think there's a level of it that is broad that's that's part of that generation of you know like kids creating everything on their own i mean if you think about like like let's use tiktok as an example like that's that's millions of kids under the age of 18 basically like formulating the concept for a joke filming themselves saying the joke or doing the joke if it's a bit and then editing it in a funny way and then publishing it themselves like that's that's cutting out like 600 professional executives in terms of like how much approval something has to go through um you know and i think that that's a level of power that has never before been bestowed on people as young it is as it is being bestowed on like that's essentially that's turning like every 16 year old kid in their bedroom into like quentin tarantino like that's like writing it and cutting it and editing editing it and directing it and releasing it and i think that is a big deal and i think for all the flack social media takes it is not people are not talking about that enough which is that it is empowering kids to be creative in a a more direct way than it has ever, you know, before done. And like, we've had the uh, privilege of being involved in some, you know, large projects. Like uh, we, we did this song for the James Bond film and um, I, I didn't direct that movie, but I can't imagine what a collaborative 
effort directing a Bond film in a franchise that legendary must be. You have uh, producers and executive producers and the production studios and the actors who are producing and the co-writers on your script and deadlines and budget. Like, oh my God, what a, like if you, from, from the inception of an idea that you have that might make a cool scene, that's a, a million dollars and 60 employees minimum to executing that one day of shooting. And so I think, I think that's to me that my favorite thing about the sort of Gen Z DIY um, sort of approach to everything is how quickly things can be articulated. I, I was watching stand up the other day and I've loved stand up my whole life. And I think a great stand up will always be a great stand up. But I was watching someone and I thought like, I bet this stand up special would have been amazing 15 years ago, but because of Twitter, I feel like I've heard all these jokes before. Like, it's just like, humor is happening so quickly now and if if something happens someone's gonna say the funniest thing about that that day you know and i think i think uh institutional sort of um approaches it's it's challenging they'll have to figure out ways to sort of expedite their delivery that is so interesting what you're saying phineas because even when you think about like democracy yes you know democracy at some level is built on the idea that things will move a little bit slowly and that yep. if the house of representatives acts too quickly the senate will do something yep. supreme court but your point about the level of speed and how many different decision makers there can be and kind of exploding the kind of gatekeepers that's a really interesting thought and it's a really interesting thought about permission like what kind of parents will billy and other people be <laughs> because they they will be used to just you know, it makes you laugh right but maybe like, they'll maybe they'll be like zealots though maybe they'll they'll maybe they'll like know how how much you know like to to expand on this because i love the direction this conversation is going i think you know congress the senate house of representatives the presidency the cabinet it's basically moving at the same speed it moved in like the 60s. And news is moving at light speed. And so like we're we're learning about things instantaneously and the the legislation and the bills being passed are still weeks and months in the future. And I think there there is a reality that I I hope we're headed to where things are are enacted more quickly because I think basically the the not this generation, but every person who's consuming news as quickly as we are all consuming it are like, why, why isn't change happening as quickly as news happens? Like, how come, how come this, 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 you know, police officer can murder this person and we can march for months and change hasn't essentially been enacted on the, you know, the floor of the the Senate? How how can that happen? And I, I, I get it. I think people are, you know, essentially like always up to date, like they're, they're, they're in real time, they're aware of sort of everything. Um, you know, and I think, I think sort of, again, back to like the, you know, congressional system, it's, things are still just sort of glacially slow, which might've been okay in a period where, where news didn't travel as fast. And, you know, I was thinking about like how quickly we knew Trump had coronavirus the other day. I was like, oh my God, that's crazy. Like that's a that's a news headline the next morning, maybe. And then another headline on Monday about discharge. And instead we know like every minute of it. Um, so it's really interesting. And then I think the other thing that's interesting in terms of freedom and creativity and authorship 
in terms of like my, my sister as a parent in 10, 15 years. The other thing I wonder is like, are we going to, are we, are we going to like have, have been eating the forbidden fruit our whole lives in terms of like the, the tree of knowledge that is the internet. And are we going to get to a point where we're like, turn that off? <laughs> like, I don't, like I can't consume that quickly. Like I can't, you know, and I think they're like a person who's famous gets it tenfold probably because you're, you're, you have such a sort of stream of consciousness directed at you. Even if you have legions of supporters and fans, you still have like a commensurate number of haters and, and hate comments, you know? And so it, it's all just coming straight at you. So it's very, it's very interesting. Did you watch that uh, social dilemma movie that everybody watched a couple of weeks ago? No, I missed the, like, that. Facebook I need movie. to watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's worth watching, but my qualm with it is it's a bunch of guys that used to work at Facebook and Google and Twitter, and they sort of no longer do, and they're all they're all basically saying it's bad for your health, and I wouldn't necessarily argue with that, but their their plea is sort of like everybody turn off your phone, and I'm like. No one is going to like you, like we're like, that's just not how that's going to work. Like, that's like, that's like the same people who are asking kids to stop watching TV in the sixties. Like, it's just not going to happen. So I don't know. I think, I think it's back to like how fast we consume new information versus how fast real change and evolution takes place. But yeah, we're definitely at a pivotal point, I think. Yeah. Vinny, it's, there's so much here that's interesting. You know, a hundred years ago, when people felt like democracy was moving too slowly in California and Wisconsin, other places, they changed it with those direct uh, propositions. And that's actually how they passed a lot of change. And I wonder whether your generation will do something similar and just say, you know what, we, we have to have something that's more direct and faster. And the other thing I'm curious about will be your career and Billy's career, which is because careers can happen faster, will there actually be more turnover? Meaning you worry about whether artists will want to sing this for 20 years, but the real question is five years. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what people will get. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? That, you know what I'm saying? It'd just be that much level I, of turnover. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. 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 No, I I think about that a lot. I think you know, I think it depends on I think it depends on your impact. Like I'm at this point candidly like I'm I'm not tremendously worried about Billy's long-term like her longevity. I think she's she's made enough of a mark to me where I kind of have a feeling of like if we if we just keep putting out albums and people keep liking them like we can tour for a long, long, long time. Um, I think the the worry is more sort of like where we were at the beginning of, of our sort of career, so to speak, and people that, that never quite pass that, where you, you have a song or two that people like that's kind of, you know, a buzz, and then you play some shows off of that, and then the buzz dies down. You know, I think that's you're right about that. I think that's that's easier to attain because of the internet and probably easier to lose because of our attention spans. So I think you're right. I think there there are people that may have shorter careers than their uh, accountants think they will have. Um, but, um, you know, that's that, again, is, is more down to like, that's similar to a movie star, right? Like a, a, a movie star really is, is only as famous and successful as their last couple films, you know? Um, 
I remember this is a weird thing to reference, but like there was like a two or three year period where Ryan Reynolds was like gone. Right, <laughs> like Ryan right. Reynolds had had like his, he'd done the, whatever the, the proposal and like the, a superhero movie or two. And he was sort of like a heartthrob guy. And then he just kind of like, he did like turbo the snail movie and then like went away <laughs> for a couple of years. <laughs> right, and right. then he dug himself out. He wrote the Deadpool film and people loved that. And he just kind of like turned up the, you know, turned the engine back on. And I think that, that's how I try to look at music always in terms of like, you're, you're really like, it's really always important to just make sure that next song is great. Um, and it's, you know, pretty unquantifiable to worry about whether your song is like a hit to me, but I think it just quality. is like what I'm always striving for. I'm like, I, I just want to make something that's great. That's like undeniably like well-made. Um, and I think as long as you do that, you'll have some level of career. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
Phineas, man, I hate to bring this to conclusion, but I have to end with a little rapid fire, if you don't mind. I want to hit you with a handful of quick Please, things. Please, let's do it. Um, tell me about your new song. Um, uh, I love I love it, and, and I love the sound. I love what it's about. Thank but you. For people who haven't heard it yet, and, and congratulations. For those who haven't heard it yet, where did, where did the song come from? Absolutely. So it's a song called What They'll Say About Us. Um, I started writing it in uh, early June. I'd been going to uh, Black Lives Matter protests in Los Angeles with my girlfriend and my sister, which are that's sort of like our quarantine pod. And uh, protests always make me feel really optimistic and uh, inspired. I think if you think of like the internet as like a division machine, and it's you know you're 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 seeing not just both sides, but like every side of like what everyone thinks about every issue. I think when you're at a protest, like in person, standing there walking down a street, you're like, all of these people around me think the same thing that I think is messed up is messed up. Like, it's very powerful to me to be around that many people that, that agree with you and are, are, you know, out there spending their day in the sun on a Saturday trying to, to provoke change. So I'd come home with kind of that, like, inspiration in mind. And then I had been on um, Instagram that evening looking at um, Amanda Clute's Instagram story. Amanda uh, is the wife of Nick Cordero, who was a Broadway singer and actor and songwriter. And he um, died of of COVID-19 in July. So back in June, I was looking at her Instagram every day because he was in the hospital and I was just following the story. And I was sort of trying to wrap my head around this song I think he had either just come out of a coma or he was still in a coma at the time of like what what it would be like to be a her specifically but anyone with a loved one in the hospital kind of like like looking out the window and seeing that there were, were like thousands of people in the street marching for change and, and and you're still trapped in this moment where your loved one might not make it and I think you know that like the other thing that was bizarre about that period of protesting was even though everyone was like out in masks, it still was like the first time in months that we weren't all just paying attention to coronavirus, that it wasn't like the only thing we were thinking about. Um, And so I was just sort of trying to write a song about how I was feeling about those two things happening at the same time, which was that I, you know, I would have told if I had a loved one who were, you know, was, was ill at the time, like I would have just been kind of telling them about it being like, you know, there's, there's real change happening. There's people really upset about this. And when you when you get better or or if you get better and i hope you get better then then we'll you know we'll be here for it um so that was the inspiration behind the song that's that's so powerful to kind of merge those together and obviously my heart goes out to her too and um um uh and you know, and, and may and may he may he rest in, in peace. What have you learned uh, uh, about Black Lives Matter? What uh, what I realize that's not a small question, but, but but give me whatever version of that you have because we've all been thinking about it in our own ways, and you you guys have been in the middle of that. What what, have, what if anything have you learned? Well, I think I like that you're using the word learn um, because I think that one of this the the sort of points of, of that's been stressed to me and I think to the internet at large this year um, and I, I see it as a, re- a phrase repeated a lot which is like it's it's not enough to be racist like you have to be anti-racist and I think I've probably been guilty of, of just trying not to be racist my whole life and I think the step beyond that of being anti-racist is like a 
it's such a step you have to take. And, and uh, you know, it wasn't one that I was afraid of taking, just, just one that I was ignorant about and sort of, you know, surrounded by my diverse group of friends thinking like, here we are, this like diverse group of people in Los Angeles from, from different backgrounds and ethnicities and like, aren't we the best? <laughs> and, you know, I think you, you realize how much further you need to go, if, you know, in my case anyway, um, and just how much how much less aware you, you you are than you think you are. I guess that's been the biggest takeaway uh, for me. Um, just making sure that I'm like listening to people who who maybe otherwise like I thought I already knew and I, I knew the struggles that they'd been through and just going like, let me actually like listen to, because I, I, I bet I'm missing something here. Um, that's been sort of the, the biggest, um, you know, that's the, the the biggest chapter of growth for me personally in my my life it's just sort of going like wow there's i've learned so many you know things you know even if they're just small little things in the last uh four or five months that that i you know just was ignorant of uh prior uh the other thing is you know I, i've been very outspoken about um the black lives matter movement on my social media and you know, if someone if someone comments on my post and says like your your songs are trash, I don't I don't usually get to write back because it's it seems uh, petty and and sort of um, self involved. But if someone says some racist in the comments on my post, I feel totally entitled to write back and yell at <laughs> for twenty minutes. So on a on a personal yeah. level, I suppose that's been like a form of personal therapy. But um, you know, I, I think that's been the, the most exciting thing, you know, in terms of uh, just seeing. And the, the other thing, to be honest, I even in my, my relationship with my girlfriend, we've been in a relationship for two years. Um, you know, we, we've, we are in an apolitical relationship, essentially. We don't really talk about politics very much. Um, and not because, like, we don't talk about politics. It just don't come up organically. Um, and I've always paid attention to American politics. And... I think that the exciting thing about how much attention is being paid this year is people who I, you know, ha have talked to themselves openly about having never voted, never paid attention to the election cycle are suddenly paying attention because they're, they are now aware for the first time that these issues that they didn't think were on a ballot are really on the ballot, even though they're not advertised as being on a, you know, a ballot. They're, they really are. And, you know, again, like back to things that I was uh, guilty of, I didn't know who our district attorney was in Los Angeles until June. So I think I think there's there's a lot of awareness that's happening um, that I think is great. Hey, Phineas, final question for you on you on the show. I end up talking to a lot of people about dreaming fearlessly because I feel like a lot of people who are watching the good news is that they do have big, bright dreams or things that they want, whether it's about parenting, whether it's about love, whether it's about how they live, etc. But I know that a lot of people along the way sometimes lose motivation. Things get hard, things go left, etc. What's the best advice you've either given or, or received about how to still dream fearlessly when, you, when your motivation starts to ebb? Such a great question. I want to think of a really... I want to answer that in a not a stupid way. Um, you know, I think I think essentially like a, a dream that you have is something that you feel 
basically very far from at the time, right? When, when I think about my, my lifelong dreams, they, they began, you know, before I'd even taken a single step in the direction of that thing. And so I think the, the encouragement I would give to someone is like, none of this stuff happens all at once, you know? And I basically don't, especially even now as a, a songwriter uh, professionally, I don't usually put any, any, you know, pressure on myself to, to do a hundred percent of anything on one day. I just put a little pressure on myself to not do nothing. And so I think if you, if you have any dream or aspiration or ambition, like just, just inching yourself a little bit of the way in that direction is, is all you need to do at, at any one given moment. And if you just do that over and over and over and over and over, you'll, you'll get so much farther than you will if you just kind of are thinking about it every once in a while. And, you know, I think that's, you know, that's pretty broad advice, but I think it's good because obviously like, you know, people have urgent needs, right? We all have to, you know, pay for the, the food that we eat and the place that we live. And if, if we have kids, we have to provide for them. So, you know, it's like you, you can't always drop everything and chase after a dream that will provide you no, you know, form of income. But you could take a little step. You can you can have your whole day of doing everything else and you can just put one thing down in that direction, um, whatever that direction may be. So I think that would be the advice I give because it's, it's true in terms of everything I do now. It's like, you know, every time I want to do something, I'm like, wow, I'm so I'm so far from done, but at, at least I'm not at the beginning anymore. At least I'm in the middle of this. Hey, Phineas, man, I so enjoyed you. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, what a great way to uh, to get my day going. And I hope uh, I hope you'll come back again. I hope this won't be the only uh, the only time you join me. At some point, when it's safe to do so, I'm happy to come in in person. It was a real treat to get to talk to you today. Thanks so much for all the thoughtful questions and really appreciate you taking time out of your day. No, no, not at all. Definitely my pleasure. Good And good to meet you. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your evening. Thanks for listening to the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this interview, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, 
LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 